First Peter three, Philippians two and Matthew five. How many of you guys have been with us over the last few weeks and can tell me what the theme has been? Winsome evangelism, right? That means living a life that's so winsome that you win some to Christ. Uh, it means a lot less preaching and a lot more uh, doing. It means a lot less talking, a lot more walking. So we've covered, if you haven't been with us, you can catch the, uh, catch the messages online, ccotl.org. But we've been covering this, this idea. We started with, in uh, chapter 2 of verse 12, you can look back there if you think I'm lying, with winsome evangelism for citizens. The Lord calling us to be winsome citizens. And that happens through submission to authority. Peter writes this even during the Nero administration. We, we saw how to be winsome servants. He speaks to uh, servants, that is, uh, slaves back then. We would, you know, call it employees. He speaks to servants and says, look, this is how you can be winsome at work or winsome to your, your boss. And that is through submission. And then last week, Peter really started meddling. And he said, look, this is how you can be winsome spouses. And again, it's through submission or dying to one's self. If any of those uh, pique your interest, again, go to the website and uh, you'll see. But what this what, what he's after, what he's saying to us. And again, he says this to a church that's being persecuted like you wouldn't believe. He's like, guys, the, the time is ripe. This is when everyone's looking at you going, wow, I can't believe the stuff they're going through. How are they going to respond? And Peter says, Look, be winsome citizens, be winsome servants, be winsome spouses. And today I'm thinking, let's let's say that Peter is playing cleanup today. He's he's batting cleanup. Um, He's going to include every single one of us saints this morning. Matter of fact, you guys read with me the second, third and fourth words of verse eight and see who he's addressing Peter says, finally, all of you. Okay, let's try that again. Finally, there you go. And again, you know, in the Greek, that word all means all. Actually, it means each and every one of you. Um, So if if, for instance, you've been coming in the last few weeks and you you like the, the sound of the philosophy, you like the words, whatever, but you've been kind of standing on the sidelines, excusing yourself from winsome evangelism. For for instance, maybe you say, look, I'm not even old enough. I can't vote yet, so can't really be a winsome citizen. Or you say, look, I'm self-employed, so I can't be a winsome. Okay, more like unemployed, so I can't be a winsome servant. Or you say, look, I'm not even married, so I can't be a winsome spouse. Y'all, with those words, all of you, Peter just drafted every single one of you into his winsome army. First Peter, chapter three, verse eight, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. If you belong to Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you have today your marching orders as part of his winsome army. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous. 
If you're taking notes, I try to, best I can, come up with some semblance of an outline to help you kind of divide the word, uh, gather your thoughts. The, the outline today would have three R's on it. Um, the first R is how do winsome soldiers, part of the winsome army, how do they, how should they regard one another? That is, how should we regard one another? How do we treat each other? Peter says, first chapter, first Peter, chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you be of one mind. First thing you got to do in relationship to each other, be of one mind. In the Greek, it's homophron. It means to have the same mind. And I don't know about you. But I actually find it super easy to be like minded with you. As long as you think like I do. If you agree with me in politics, if you agree with me in about ministry philosophy, if you agree with me in child rearing, college football, taste in music. If you agree with me in all that stuff, I, I, it's very easy for me to be like minded with you. There's just one problem with that. Reality. Right. I mean, so many Christians have this thought. Let's be of one mind together. Mine. That, that just doesn't work. I have discovered, believe it or not, that some people just don't get it. They don't think the way I do. They are not like minded with me. I know sinners. But what are we to do? Peter says he's commanding us here to be like minded. Well, I want to keep you in suspense for a little bit because we're going to get our answer in just a little bit. But just kind of keep that rolling around in your head. How are we supposed to be like minded when we don't see everything the same way? Let's keep moving. Verse eight. Finally, all of you, the whole winsome army of God, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. OK, now there that we can do, right? Meaning you don't have to agree with someone to have compassion, do you? The word compassion is sympathetes. It's a place we get the word sympathy, but don't think that it just means to feel bad for someone. It literally means to suffer together. Sympathy to suffer together. Oddly, um, I went and looked the definition and under suffer together. There's a picture of a mar married couple. No, just kidding. No. It, it, compassion, it means to suffer together. It literally means then to jump into another person's suffering, to experience it with them. It's the opposite of this phrase. Hey, I'm praying for you. Good luck with your problem. It's the opposite of that. It's more than I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for your sister. It's to jump into another's suffering with them. Calvary Chapel, we always try to look for the application. Here it is. And again, I'm amazed that the Lord can meet so many different people in the same text in so many different ways. So maybe this is the one that the Lord is speaking to you this morning. Is there someone suffering near you? And the Lord wants you to suffer with them. And you're just on the sidelines. He's calling you to jump in and suffer together with that person. 
I mean, it means like compassion then means awaiting the test results. It means crying with that person. It means cooking a meal when they're, they're too drained to do it for themselves. It means to pray through the night with them or for them. That's suffering together. Maybe that's your application this morning. Lord, who around me is suffering and how can I? How do you want me to suffer with them? And listen, we haven't even gotten to the explanation yet, but what's amazing is that especially if you disagree with someone politically or the way they raise their kids or whatever it is, there's nothing more winsome than jumping in and suffering with someone. There's nothing more winsome than jumping into the foxhole of suffering with that other saint. So Peter says to the winsome army, look, guys, regarding each other, have compassion, be willing to suffer together. But next he says, and be willing to regard them as family. Look at verse eight. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. And then he says, love as brothers. The word in the Greek, most of you are familiar with it, Philadelphos. It's to love like a brother. And the guys in high school didn't do this because it wasn't cool, but the girls a lot of times would sign their letters or whatever, L-Y-L-A-S, right? Love you like a sister. I said it at the first service and everybody looked at me all blank-eyed like that too. Um, love you like a sister. Love you like a brother. That's what Peter's saying is that that's how we should be treating each other. Now, what does that look like? Well, if you're my son, Isaac, five years old, to love you like a brother would be to chase you around the house with a stick. <laughs> I, I think it means to love you like a brother, meaning, look, we're in this together through thick and thin, right? Blood is thicker than water. See, that, that phrase, blood is thick in the water, it speaks of that amazing forgiveness and loyalty that you only get in a family. Right? You can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. You can't pick your family. You are stuck with them. In, in a weird sort of way, that's what I think Peter's saying here is, guys, this is how we should look at each other. We should regard each other as family, meaning... Okay, I don't like what you just did there. I don't like the way you think about that, but you're my brother. You're my sister. We are in this. We are stuck together, whether we like it or not. Right? So let's make it work. That's how we should regard each other or to treat each other like family. All the more interesting that Peter writes this to a persecuted church. All the more important when you're suffering to, to say, look, we're in this together no matter what. Here's the application. Is someone in your church family, if hopefully that's, that's here, this is your home, we, we, we love it that there's so many folks coming in. But wherever it is, or maybe it's the, 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 the broader family in Christ, is there someone that the Lord is calling you to reconcile with, to do your part at least, to reconcile with? To love them like a brother or sister, meaning, you know what, we may never get along, but I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you, um, I'm here for you. Is there someone? I don't know. The Lord's doing his work. He's, he's walking among the, the chairs right now. Maybe he's tapping on your shoulder saying, reconcile with that person. Do what you can to love that person as a brother or a sister. Okay. Next, 
He says, love us, brothers, and then be tender hearted. No good way to say this. The Greek uh, says it means strong bowels or good bowels. <laughs> the first service, our, our, our restrooms weren't working, and I saw everybody looking at each other when I said that part. <laughs> what in the world does he mean? Here's, it makes sense when you think of it this way. He's talking about back then. That's how they saw where the seat of emotion was. Right. Because we still speak of a gut wrenching decision. Right. We still speak of, oh, man, when I found out, it felt like I got punched in the gut. We still talk about a gut feeling. What Peter is saying here, very similar to when he said, be compassionate, is this. Don't be impervious to each other's pain. Be willing to share the pain you're in and be willing to jump in and suffer with someone else. Don't be impervious. Um, it occurred to me as I'm as I'm. Studying for this, that in God's winsome army, I think you, you really, really, if you want to be super winsome, you need two qualities that seem to be at odds. You need super thick skin, but you need a really tender heart. You need the skin of a rhinoceros, but the heart of a little child. That's how Peter would have us regard one another. Application. Maybe the Lord's tapping you on this one. Are you described that way? Got a nice thick skin, but a tender heart? Or is it something else? Either, yeah, I've got a nice thick skin and I've got a really thick heart. Don't really, not feeling compassion. I'm, I'm tired of being hurt, so I'm just going to have this thick skin and thick heart and deal with it. Or it could be that you're very tender hearted toward others. But you're also tender skinned, tender footed, meaning you get your feelings hurt. It's kind of odd, but I'm wondering if maybe somebody's prayer this morning should be this. Lord, make me an M&M. <laughs> Not oversensitive on the outside, but easily melted on the inside and always flavorful. That's my advertisement for M&M's. You get the, the concept, right? That's a winsome person where like you, you throw something at them and they're like just bounces off. But then you tell them about some hurt of yours and they're like, oh, let me pray for you. That's a winsome person. OK, um, then he says, be courteous. You see that? Be courteous. Now, in the Greek, this is one of those words that perhaps could have been translated a little better. In the Greek, you'll find it actually means to be humble or Literally, it's low to the ground minded. It's a long phrase, but low to the ground minded. In other words, it means to think lower of yourself and higher of other people. Regard other people higher than yourself. He's talking about humility. He's talking about humbleness, right? And if you have been checking out since I said, how can we be like minded? This is it. How can you be like minded with somebody who completely doesn't think the way you think? Here it is. Humility. Thinking more of them than you thinking lower to the ground, thinking of them higher to the ground. Um, let, let me bring you back into that arena. How can I be like minded with you when you are apparently so dumb you dare to think differently than me? 
How can that work? I mean, if we're to be like-minded, let's go with mine. No. Whose mind are we supposed to go with if we're to be like-minded? Jesus' mind. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see here, this, this is totally parallel. Uh, again, Philippians 2, I just keep coming back to because there's so much great stuff that it's so parallel with. You guys know, I've shared this uh, maybe one or, once or twice before. You know where the word university came from? Uni means one. Versity means it's the place we get the word diversity. So one from many or one among many. That at one time, at least, was the, was the goal of higher learning. That is to have divergent views and, and let, uh, let the, the best man win, sort of, right? How is it possible to have one, one mind among many uh, philosophies or many opinions? Well, Paul solves that amazing puzzle. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read beginning of verse one. But let me give you a background in case you weren't aware of it. There's two ladies in this church that are at each other's throats. Apparently they, uh, you know, one maybe backbiting the other. You know, we don't know if they're fighting over whose casserole was best at the potluck, whatever. <laughs> Paul begins to he, he's headed there uh, in chapter four. He's going to just come out and say them by their names, which has got to be embarrassing to this letter. Right. But in chapter two, he begins to lay the groundwork and says, guys, this is how you live in unity, even in the midst of diversity. Look at it. And I want you guys to read when I pause. I want you to read the next word, which would be words like this, like or same or one. Read with me. Uh, Chapter two, verse one. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy. Paul says, by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Paul speaking to this this church and I think in mind of these these two ladies that are so different. And he says it's possible to have one mind. He says, verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, low to the ground thinking. Let in in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Verse four, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Oh, look at verse five. Whose mind are we supposed to go with? Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was his mind to humble himself? Look at it. Verse six, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. He keeps going lower and lower and lower and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He keeps going lower and lower. He humbled himself and became obedient. uh, That is subservient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You cannot go any lower, more humble than that. You hear what what Peter, Paul, all of them have the same concept, which is this unity in diversity is only possible through humility. I'm going to say that again. For me, this has been one thing that finally, when I started to get it, 
It helps a lot of areas in your life. Unity in the midst of diversity is only possible through humility. The reason I'm placing such a focus on this is it's helped me so much. And can I tell you with as much passion as I can imagine, if you get this, if you begin to go, okay, I really am going to think more of others than of myself. I promise you it's life changing. It's listen, marriage saving. It's argument ending, which also happens to be marriage saving. It's church saving. It's friendship saving. And it's winsome witness saving. Humility to think low to the ground, to think higher of the other person. And again, when I say winsome witness, <clears throat> I can give you examples. Um, do you realize that, that every unbeliever that that you want to come to know the Lord, all, all the people that are around you, you know that every single one of them is better than you at something? That you can still be low to the ground minded? Let, let me just show you what I think is obvious. If you begin to, if you allow yourself, I should say, to begin to talk down to unbelievers, right? As though, you know, well, I used to be like you, but now I'm a Christian and I'm a lot better than you. If you talk down to them in that way, instead of according to the truth, which is the low to the ground approach, that is, look, I am... In one sense, a wretched sinner who's been rescued by God's grace. I'm in another sense, one who's no longer a sinner because of what he's done. But it's all what he's done. Uh, I'm looking at someone who blessed me a few weeks ago with a with a gift from uh, at Christmas time. It says wretched on one side. It's from wretched radio. On the other side, it says I'm the wretch the song refers to. <laughs> That's awesome if you understand it. Otherwise, it's like, what is she saying? This is exactly supposed to be our attitude. Everyone we meet. Look, I'm the wretch the song refers to. And I can show you how to be rescued. That's winsome. Anything less than that is not. So we've seen how we as the winsome army should regard each other. That is, we should share in each other's sufferings. We should love as brothers. We should be thick skinned, but tender hearted. Again, I hope you're taken enough notes to go, oh, wow, that's the one I got to circle. This is the thing that I want, that I think the Lord wants me to work on this week. Thick skin, but tender hearted. And most of all, most importantly, regard others as higher than ourselves, which will uh, amazingly allow you to be of one mind, even though you still have your own brain. OK. All right. Next. This is your second R it was, it was a long R, wasn't it? Next. How should members of the Winsome Army Respond. Respond to mistreatment. Because that's what Pe where Peter's going here. Verse 9, he says, You, winsome army soldiers, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Where it says returning there, not returning. The word is in the Greek is apodidomai. It means to pay off, to pay, uh, to dis discharge what is due, to pay a debt or wages. Now, we get this. It means payback. 
Right. It means revenge. What Peter is actually calling against our nature, he's saying, you know, what, what's so common today is, you know, and people people say it uh, unashamedly so often. They say, I don't get mad. I get even. Peter's saying that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. See, it's it is our human nature, our fallen nature to get even. You could say of revenge, it's the debt that we love to pay. But Peter, commanding the winsome army, verse 9 says, we are not to be returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The word evil there means it refers to when someone does something to hurt you. But the word reviling means when someone says something to hurt you. When a person does something or says something to you, your response is not to be what the world's response is, is normally. The standing orders of the Winsome Army is this. Look, when someone hurts you, whether it's by what they say or what they do, here's your response. Look at it. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, that means the opposite. Blessing. Whoa. Really? Peter, when I'm being treated poorly or spoken of poorly, you're telling me that I'm to return blessing. Now, some of you are hoping that when I'm going to say in the Greek, the word blessing actually is blasting. (laughs) Nope, it's blessing. So inventory time, you soldiers in the Winsome Army. When someone cuts you off on the road and they shoot you a hand signal that's not God bless you. Are you inclined to pay them back with blessing? Or do you want to bless them right into the ditch? This may help where blessing is eulogy. You're like, well, that I can see. I'd like to deliver that guy's eulogy. Well, we saw a couple of weeks ago, the word eulogy in, in this context means to speak well of. Right. That's what you do at a funeral. Right. You speak well of that person. So Peter, believe it or not, is calling us. He says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, just the opposite of what you think. I want you to pay back, pay them back with blessing. Speaking well of them. Now, this is radical, guys. Look, they speak evil of you. Your response, speak well of them. They treat you poorly. Your response, treat them well. Y'all, this is so unexpected, so supernatural that it can't help but be winsome when we do it. Right. And as a side benefit, it's completely befuddling to that other person. What's up with them? Right. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 19. You don't have to turn there says something very similar. It says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will pay back, the Lord says. And then it says in verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And the the verse that this quotes, Proverbs 25, continues uh, going on and it says, And the Lord will reward you. The idea, again, is, look, when they treat you poorly, you speak well of them. Maybe this will help. 
Think of it like you're delivering their eulogy in advance. Right? Either they're going to die physically and you'll be glad you spoke well of them. Or better yet, they'll die to sin, be raised again, and then you'll really be glad that you spoke well of them. And you're like, okay, I get it. Philosophically, it's kind of a beautiful concept, but I'm still not all that moved. Well, here we go again. Verse 9, he says, knowing that you were called to this. Peter kind of takes the screws down a bit some more. Uh, Hello, he says. This is what you signed up for. This is what you were called to do. When, When Jesus called you to follow him, to take up your cross, to deny yourself daily. This is part of that. When Jesus called you to follow his example, which is, uh, hey, I came from heaven down to this place, humbled myself, served people, got slapped, beaten, crucified to achieve unity with some really nasty people. Jesus says, that's what you signed up for. It's the path that he has called us to. And that is one of returning blessing for reviling, returning good for evil. That's what Jesus did, because that's what God does over and over again, returns good for evil. You got how many of you were here last week when I was uh, burying myself about winsome spouses? Okay, you remember the story I told you about uh, Abraham making this decision to go down to Egypt and Sarah has to, to pay for it. But how through her obedience, uh, the whole thing was was redeemed and it was awesome. And then how he did it again. Well, it just so happens this morning in my time in the word, I'm in Genesis 26. And guess what? Isaac, his son, does the exact same thing. Isaac is a chip off the old block, does the same, makes the same stupid decisions and and uh, puts people in a, a bad position, all of that stuff. But then it struck me, you know, this this message being in my in my mind. This really struck me. Genesis 26, verse 12 says, then Isaac sowed in that land. OK, um, God redeemed the situation. Um, then it says Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And maybe you're familiar with this next verse. Verse 13 is funny because it just repeats itself over and over. It makes the point. It says the man that is Isaac, who made this really stupid decision, began to prosper. And he continued prospering until he became very Prosperous. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. What in the world did Isaac do to deserve that? Acted stupid. All I'm saying is that this just this morning became once again real to me. That's what God does. He blesses stupid people. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm thinking about myself. He returns good for evil. So it only makes sense that that's if he says you don't want to follow me, you want to be like me. This is what I do. That's what God does. He blesses us when we deserve cursing. And so that's what God's kids are supposed to do. 
He blesses when we deserve cursing, so that's what we're supposed to do. Bless when those around us deserve cursing. Okay, that should be enough to, to motivate you to pay back blessing for cursing. Number one, that's what Jesus did for you. Number two, that's what Jesus called you to do. But if that isn't enough, look at this. It says that you may inherit a blessing. Again, Proverbs 25 that says, look, if you want to heat coals on their head, the Lord will reward you. It's that same word where it says um, that you may inherit a blessing, that word blessing, same word that we saw before. That is eulogy. The idea is somebody treats you evil, you treat them good. God speaks well of you. Make sense? The, the idea is you want God to speak well of you. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but you remember that Jesus said, you can turn to Matthew 5 as I ramble here a little bit. Jesus said, look, if you're good to those who are good to you, big deal. I mean, that's kind of in the New Doug version. That's it. If you're good to those who are nice to you, so what? But if, in fact, you're good to those who are evil toward you, that is impressive. And so God will speak well of you. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus speaking. Our king speaking. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. In other words, again, that you might look just like him. That you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? What's the big deal? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? You can turn back to the, the, our, our text for this morning. There's, there's a verse in Second Peter when we get there where he, he exhorts us. He says, pray that you have an abundant entrance into the kingdom. That's an awesome thing. It got me thinking, you guys know that when you die, of course, hopefully, hopefully you have a few people that can say nice things about you. When you die, there's going to be eulogies on earth. But do you realize that God wants to give you an awesome eulogy as you come into the kingdom? That means to speak well of you. There's going to be eulogies on earth, but there's also going to be eulogies in heaven in a different sense. How do you want your entrance to look? Got to thinking, I'm, there's so many people in, in the church that I, I admire and am so blessed to, to be aware. I just picked Jeremy off the top of my head. I'm picturing a, in heaven when Jeremy goes to be with the Lord. It's like, oh, Jeremy is here. Get the marching band ready. Fire off the cannons. Drop the banners. Get the herald trumpeters. I don't want to be showing up. And it's Jesus and one guy with a party favor. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want that either, do you? So keep that in context. Jesus says, what's the big whoop if... You bless those who bless you. If you really want to 
have the, the, the banners fly and the, the band fired up, bless those who curse you. You bless those who curse you, you then you look just like me. You look just like my father. That's when we are going to be throwing some serious parties, giving you that eulogy in a good sense, speaking well of you. Okay, so he says, look, this is how you're to regard each other as winsome, uh, winsome soldiers. This is how you're supposed to respond to mistreatment. And then lastly, and, and I, I feel a little guilty just because the word is so rich. Um, I'm going to need to fly through these a little bit. Otherwise, you'll be here all day. But I, I think it's still here if you, if you pay close attention. The, the third R is RX for abundant life, a prescription for the abundant life. How many of you, I won't ask you how many of you have had resolutions and already failed on them? How many of you are still looking for him? There's a hand. <laughs> how many of you are still looking for a resolution? You're like, uh, I'm still open to, to a resolution for me for 2010. There's an awesome one here. Uh, Psalm 34, 12 to 16 is what Peter's uh, he's referencing here. Verse 10, he says, for he who would love life and see good days. To me, that says and, and, and where it says that word would it's the word resolve. It means, look, if you want to take a good step toward loving your life, toward seeing good days, if you want to really enjoy your life, I'm, that's, I'm calling this the, the prescription for an abundant life. He says, then listen up. He would love life and see good days. Um, let me let me put it this way. You want to live a productive, useful, excellent, pleasant, agreeable life. Notice I never said easy. But if you want to live a life that is productive, useful, excellent, pleasant, agreeable. If you want to live that abundant life that Jesus says you can have. Here's a prescription. It begins this way. Three points. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If you're taking notes, just put again. We don't have like a lot of time to expose it, but just put refrain your tongue or restrain your tongue might make more sense to you. James, in his epistle, says some pretty uh, cutting words about the tongue. Says it's a world of iniquity. Says it's a, says with a tongue you can. It's just like a, the rudder of a ship. Just a, such a little thing, but it can steer the whole thing. He says it's just like the the bit and the bridle of of a, a mighty steed. Just just with one little tug here this way or this way, you could control that whole thing. So no wonder then that Peter says, look, you want to live a, a glorious, acceptable life. You want to work toward having this this uh, abundant entrance. Start with your tongue. Because it it controls so much of your life. The prescription for abundant life starts with controlling your tongue. Let me as quickly as I can. That means then, of course, filthy language. It's not winsome. Gossip. It's not winsome. Outbursts of wrath. It's not winsome. Complaining. Not winsome. James again says, look, your tongue is unruly. It's wild. And then again, I heard somebody say, look, it came with a cage. So just shut that thing. 
It's so true that most of the time, you know, not always, but for the most part, isn't it the things that we said that we wish we hadn't versus those which we wished we had and didn't? Most of the time, if you've got to default to something, it's shut the cage. Don't say something that you're going to regret. Look, if you want to see good life, if you want to, want to love life, if you want to see good days, number one, refrain or restrain your tongue. Number two, if you're another, looking for another R, it's this, repent and replace. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Repent and replace. Repent means literally to turn your back on, to turn away, to, to make a, a 180, to change direction. So he says, look, if you, if you want to love your life, live good days, repent. That is, turn your direction. But this is so important. He says, and do good. Look, if you want to be winsome to God and to others and enjoy being even around yourself, repent. That is, turn away from the bad stuff, but not only repent, replace. Replace it with good stuff. Again, I'm trusting that the Lord is going around the room. He's tapping on your shoulder, saying, this one's for you. Perhaps there's someone in the room and you have repented over something. And then repented again of that same thing. And then repented and repented and repented and repented. You're a professional repenter. That's not a bad thing. I mean, I am. I think we should all be professional repenters. But here's the deal. Are you not getting any victory in that area so you can move on to the next? I'm wondering if we're on to something here. Peter says, look, what if you not only repented, that is turned your back on evil, but what if you replaced that with good? That is, you're actively pursuing righteousness. Again, I'm thinking of uh, just this last admonition to control your tongue, right? Maybe you're like, well, that's the problem. It just it comes out of me. Well, what if you not only repented, but you replaced your habits with filling yourself with the word so that which is in you, the good stuff comes out instead of that other stuff. There's all sorts of ways you can you can connect these these dots. Maybe maybe instead of just repenting, you replaced that evil with good. Let me give you some just examples off the top of my head. I don't know which one's for you, but joining a salt in my group. That is, coming alongside and saying, I need some help here. Let's, let's hold each other accountable. Let's, let's show grace to each other, all that stuff. Maybe it's serving. That's the, the topic of the day. Maybe it's showing up and saying, okay, I do want to, to do something that is good as opposed to just turning away from evil. Maybe it's joining the men on their Friday night prayer time. Maybe it's something that's not that formal. Maybe it's finding a prayer partner. And calling them, you know, making a deal like every day we're going to chat just long enough to pray, whatever it is. Maybe it's praying with five people a day saying, I'm going to set aside my lunchtime. I'm going to I don't know what it is. But hopefully you do. Maybe there's an idea that comes to you. Lord, how can I not just repent, not just turn away from this thing that you've told me to do? And I've repented so many times. How can I also replace with something good? Then he says, he who would love life. And see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Then it says, let him seek peace and pursue it. The word seek there means to 
seek after, to aim for, to strive after. So that's fairly strong. But then the word pursue, I think it's the same word that they use for um, persecution, which is that is being chased. Let him seek peace and pursue it. What is that saying? Peter's saying, look, if you want to be our expert or abundant life, look, refrain your tongue. Restrain your tongue from evil. Repent and replace. And number three, run after peace. Run it down. When it says, let him seek peace and pursue it, what does that tell you? To me, it says peace is not peace with your with your fellow Christian is not going to just show up on your doorstep with a, a nice little bow. It's not going to just be super easy. It's like, oh, that's cool. We just love each other. No, it's going to be gritty and ugly and awkward sometimes. It's, it means following through on Matthew 18. Okay, Lord, this is going to be really awkward. I'm offended, but you tell me that I need to go to that person. All that stuff. Seek peace and pursue it. Run it down. Again, that can, that can change a, a marriage. If you're that person in your relationship, and I think, I don't want to let the ladies off, off the hook, but it needs to first start with a man. We need to be the ones that are running down peace. That actually makes it more attractive to guys, right? All right, I'm going to run it down. (laughs) But the idea is, it's not just going to happen. Somebody has to make it happen. Somebody has to go for it. And that's, that's this idea, which is, honey, I was wrong. Or can we talk about this? Whatever it is, working through all of those things. Okay. Um, Application. Is there someone in your life? That you're not doing your part to live in peace with actively, meaning are, is there a situation you can think of where you're just hoping that peace is going to come to you? It's not going to happen. Peter says you need to pursue it. You need to run it down. So as a winsome army, he's commanded us to run after peace. Then in verse 12, just not to keep you here for forever. Peter just delivers the last motivational reason to live such a radical, winsome life. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What he's saying is, look, the winsome life is winsome. Even if it's not winsome to anybody else, it's winsome to God. He is paying attention. Look, we know that. The Lord sees everyone, good and bad, right? He sees sees them. The question is, what is his opinion of what he sees? Let me share this with you. You've probably heard it. Burglar had been casing a particular house for some time. Finally, he saw the owners leave for what appeared to be an extended camping trip. That night, he breaks into the basement window, and he was trying to find his way in the dark when he heard what seemed to him the voice of a very old woman. Jesus sees you. Startled that the burglar snarls back, shut up, grandma, or you're going to get hurt. He shines his flashlight all around, but no grandma. Again, the voice says, Jesus sees you. Finally, the beam of flash, the flashlight finds a large cage and in it a pretty upset parrot. <laughs> Relieved, the burglar turns back around and starts up the, toward the stairs, only to spot an enormous Doberman waiting at the top. The parrot says, sick him, Jesus. This is for, you know, we like revenge. We do. The point is, Jesus sees everybody. 
But what does he think about what he sees? It's all important. I know. I am. I said this a few times in the first service. I'm so blessed to be part of this church. I'm so glad that I don't feel like I have to be beating you over the head with these things. But I know because we're human and I know me, there's so much work still to be done for us to be the winsome army that he wants us to be. The time is short. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I just thank you for your graciousness, your goodness to me, for your patience with me. I thank you for being winsome, Lord, on my behalf, suffering, even though I didn't deserve it. Returning, giving to me blessing in exchange for my uh, deserved cursing. Exchanging my filthy rags for your righteous robes. I ask, Lord, that you would please move us, Lord, to action this morning. That we might be your winsome army here in this little part of the world that you've put us in. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.